So we have a ministry plan that we uh, are introducing here that actually launched last month. It's called Focus. And as part of that Focus of ministry plan, we had asked, uh, and it's not too late, there's a little sheet inside uh, for, for many people to sign up. Hey, this is maybe something that I could pray about or something that I could do in the next quarter. And one of the things that was asked on there was, what is something if you would like to brainstorm on how we could serve the community between now and September? And, and somebody offered the suggestion of being part of a, it's like a community group called Spread the Word, providing books for, for young people. And that's a great idea. And then I was looking at the Reno Rodeo website this week, and the Rodeo is launching this week, and, and guess what? Part of their, their group is that where their proceeds are going to, uh, this is really hard to say, but it's going to the Reno Rodeo, Re Reno Rodeo Reading Roundup, um, which is another way of providing books and, and really enhancing reading in Title I schools in Rodeo. And I can sit here and I can look over there towards our building and I see a little red box that's called Little Library, take a book or leave a book. Or we can talk about some of our ministry plans. We want to start Popcorn and Pages in, in July. Again, a reading program for kids. And you're just like, wow, it's just life is about books, books, and more books. And maybe kids, you're thinking, I just finished school. I don't want to talk about books today. But they're all around us. And it's not just kids, though. I know some of you are in summer book clubs. Or Wednesday night, our women started a Bible study, and it's not too late to join, but part of that Bible study is reading a book uh, to guide us through that Bible study. Or we listen to audiobooks. Books are so much part of our life. So then the question becomes, why this book? When you have literally millions of other books to choose from and to fill your life with, why this one? That's the question we want to answer today, or consider, why is the Bible so necessary? Why is it such a blessing to us? Last week, as we launched our, our three-week series here on the Word, we looked at the miracle of how the Bible was produced. We looked at how the Bible was preserved, is preserved for us, and that's just a fascinating, fascinating topic. But why did God do it? Just because he wanted to talk? hoping that someone would listen. God had every right to, to write what he wanted to write down, but he also had you in mind, and I want us to think about why do we need this book. And maybe the best way, or one of the best ways for us to ever think about why we need something is imagine what your life would be like without it. Pick electricity or running water. Right? It's maybe novel to go camping, and you don't have electricity or running water for a day or two. Day three or four comes along, you're like, I really need that, right? Or your family is saying, you really need that. <laughs> uh, you know, if you go long enough without something, you, you see how ne necessary it is in your life. So what would life be like without the Bible? Ever think about that? Would you know who God is? Now, before you answer that too quickly, the truth is, you would know who a God is. You know, we're, we're sitting out here today. See, God has left his mark. 
in more places than just the Bible. He's, he's left it in what you and I are seeing today. You look at Peavine Mountain, you look at the trees, you hear the birds. And, and, is, and while we understand a little bit about the processes of, of how things are and how things grow and where they come from, we finally, we, we ask enough questions about nature, and we, we, we finally get to this big old blank that says, I can't explain this. And that blank is God. That every builder, or every house needs a builder, so too this world needed to be built by someone. And we can't necessarily explain that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Throughout history, people have come to the conclusion, you know what, there's something bigger out there that, that explains all this. That's why people worshipped a sun god, or that's why people worshipped a sea god, or people worshipped animals, or people worshipped trees. Because you finally get to a point that says, I don't have an answer for this. And our conclusion about whatever this is, is that that God, that being, that it up there must be pretty powerful because I can't do this. Or that God or that being up there must be pretty wise because I don't understand this. So nature, nature tells you about God. And if nature doesn't convince you about God's presence, uh, your conscience will. What is your conscience? Your conscience is that little voice inside of you that, that says something is right or something is wrong. And yes, our conscience can be dulled, but for the most part, we have the same conscience. That there is a, a general understanding, a moral ethic that exists, that we know something is right, something is wrong. You know, so if I called the kids up here earlier and they came up here and I just slugged them, if I hit Isabel in the face, what would have happened? Hey, I wouldn't be talking right now. You would have hauled me off already, right? But every one of us here would have said, that's wrong. Even her little brother, who maybe does it himself once in a while, would have said, that's wrong. How do you know that? How do we know that something is wrong universally? Who's, who, who's, who decides that? Somebody or something had to put that that universal, that conscience inside of us to say, you know what, there is a general right and there is a general wrong. And if you go against that general right, you can expect to pay for it. You're going to be punished. You're accountable to someone. That too is God. Is that the God of the Bible? Again, before you answer that, maybe think about, yeah, that is the God of the Bible. Our God is powerful. He made creation. He is the creator of all things. And our God hates and punishes sin. And he holds us accountable to him. But if that's all we do about God, imagine what your life would be like. It would really be one of complete fear, of trembling, of despair, where we might as well just give up. We might as well just throw ourselves into that dumpster over there and, and wait for the rot and the decay to come. And that's why God didn't just reveal himself in nature or in conscience but also in his word, in this book, 
Yes, this book affirms that he's powerful. Yes, this book affirms that he hates sin and he, and he punishes wrongdoing. But this book also shows us the flip side of that God coin. That he's a God of love. That he's a God of grace. That he's a God of kindness. And that he's a God of forgiveness. That he wants to salvage you. That he wants to rescue you from that life of despair. That he wants to, to rescue you from that and deliver you from that life of fear. To salvage or to save you is exactly what Paul writes in his letter to his protege, Timothy. What we're looking at is our theme verse over this whole month, 2 Timothy 3. Last week we looked at verse 16, which says, yes, all the scriptures is God breathed. It's written by God. But if you look at that first verse, or, uh, verse 15, it, where, where Paul writes, and these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. Make you wise and give you knowledge about how you are rescued, how, you, how God salvaged you. And it's an interesting choice of words to make you wise for salvation. Wisdom is a very noble word, isn't it? I mean, what, what would you rather be, wise or smart? We'd rather be wise because wisdom is smarts plus. Wisdom is being able to take our smarts and apply it to real life. It's the difference of knowing what's right and right, what's wrong, or what, what works and doesn't work. That's why we often say elderly people are wise, because experience has taught them, right, Gary? That, that no, sorry. <laughs> he brought friends today, so. Um, uh, but, but no, wisdom tells you, or experience tells you what works and doesn't work. You know, there's a proverb, uh, Proverbs 4, verse 7, that says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. What words to live by? Get wisdom. Well, the wisdom that Paul talks about, wise for salvation, that is the supreme goal. How, how are we saved? How is heaven ours? Get that wisdom. Now, now don't misquote me or misunderstand me. It's not wisdom in and of itself that saves. Remember what I said wisdom is? Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the ability or, or being able to know what works and doesn't work. And so the wisdom of scriptures tells us what doesn't work. It tells us, you know what doesn't work? It does, what doesn't work is you living a good life in order to be saved. Because no matter how hard you try in this life, you're always going to come up short or you're always going to be wondering, have I done enough? The wisdom of scriptures tells you, so you know what doesn't work? What doesn't work is, is trying to balance out your blunders in life with your, with your good deeds because the Bible says, no, your blunders have to be completely deleted. They can't exist at all. The wisdom of scriptures that says what doesn't work is that it's, it can't be you comparing yourself to someone else. God doesn't say, oh, I'm only taking the top 30, 40, 50 percentile into heaven. No, he says it has nothing to do with comparison. It's, it's, it's God saying, here's my law. How have you kept it? Which is why Paul goes on to say, he explains what that wisdom is. It's not you-centric. It's Christ-centric. Christ-centric. For these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in 
Christ Jesus. That is the wisdom of Scripture. That Scripture tells us that our God, our God came and He restored our relationship with Him that had been severed because of our sin. Scriptures tell us about this Jesus who lived a perfect life as our substitute, and now God says, hey, I'll credit that to your account. Scriptures tells us about this Jesus who died on the tree of a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. See, that's the difference between natural knowledge and what God shows us in Scripture. I can sit here all day, and I can say, wow, that's a nice tree. And wow, that must be a really great creator who made that tree and that the leaves have come out so nicely this year. But I can stare at that tree all day, and I will never be understand or, or even know that God sent his son to die on the tree of a cross to take away my sins. It's the wisdom of scriptures that tells us that Jesus is living today, and because he is, you too can live forever with him in heaven. That's the wisdom of scriptures. And right about now, many of you are saying, yeah, pastor, I know all that. Tell me something I don't know. I am none the wiser for sitting here in the sun today. And that's why we need to go back to what Paul said to Timothy. Yeah, Timothy knew all this too. But how did Paul start that off? He said, continue. Continue in what you have learned. It's so easy take that book for granted, isn't it? To think that that book is just a, a guidebook for Christian living, to think that that book called Scriptures is, is just a, you know, a, a message of do's and don'ts, or it's a, it's a literary masterpiece. It's not J.K. Rowling. It's not Dr. Zutz. It's not John Grisham. It's not Ernest Hemingway. This book this book is God's way to share with you the message of salvation. This book is God's tool, his only tool that he promises to work and sustain faith in your hearts. This book is God's means of grace. All those wonderful attributes of God, his love, his kindness, his forgiveness, his compassion. He wants to share those all with you. And you know how he does it? It's not through a beautiful blue sky or through a nice green tree. He says, no, it's through this book. So continue. Continue in what you have learned. And God will do that for you. That you will receive all the blessings that God has intended for you, not the least of which is the gift of how you are saved. But I really don't have to do anything. Nope. And that's also shared with us in this little passage. As Paul writes to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, from infancy, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Why did Paul write those two words? From infancy. I suppose there might be a few reasons why he wrote it. You could say, well, maybe he's, he's reminding Timothy, you better go home and give your mom a big hug and a kiss and your grandma too because they taught you these things from little on. Or maybe he's reminded, that's his subtle way of saying, hey, 
Timothy, don't take this gift of scriptures for granted. Just because you had it from little on, don't let it become old for you. So there's something else about those words from infancy that are important. It tells us it's not up to us. The way that scriptures works in our hearts is all up to God. It's the same reason why we baptize little infants. Because it's not, it's not us that's doing anything. Now we haven't had tons of, of infant baptisms here. I think the last ones were, were Ron's grand grandsons, his twin grandsons were baptized here over a year ago. So maybe we don't see this all the time. But I, you know, I used to see, I probably have seen 500 baptisms of, of infants in my life. And not once, not once have I seen a, a child get up after the, the word connected to the water was, was applied to that child. Again, it's the word that gives it its power. Not just the act, but I never heard a child stand up or sit up in his mother's arms and say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And it wasn't up to his parents. It wasn't up to the grandparents or the godparents. It wasn't up to the pastor. No, it was always God. God using the word connected to that water in that case. But it's always God using the word on you. You don't have to do a thing. The word. The word is what creates faith in your hearts. The word is what points you to Jesus. The word, and the word alone, is what makes you wise. Makes you wise for salvation. And maybe that feels like, oh man, I wish I could do something. But isn't it comforting to know you can't? Because then I'm assured that, you know what? The word and the power of the word isn't limited by my knowledge. And the word isn't limited by my experience of trying to figure out what's right or wrong. Rather, the word is powerful in and of itself. And what it has the power to do is to make you wise for salvation. You know, in conclusion, I was, I was hoping to find or make up or some story, some illustration that could really impress upon you the value of God's word in your life. And yet every illustration that I found or tried to think of fell short. You know why? Because there's no story that can match this story. There's no story that can match God's story for you. That he salvages you, that he saves you. And when you think about that, that there is no story that can match that one, that is what makes that book worth reading. And why we need it in our lives. God's blessings as you continue grow in the word, the word that makes you wise for salvation.